From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, October 3rd. Wildlife officers in Utah can now investigate crime on mountains, lakes, streams, and other hard-to-get-to places using drones. The Utah Division of Wildlife Resources recently launched its first conservation officer drone team. Uh, It's been used quite a bit in other agencies. Um, We're just kind of catching on and and, uh, trying to figure out how we can best utilize it to make our officers better in the field. Captain Chad Betridge with Utah DWR. The agency has about 50 patrol officers scattered throughout the state. Just one lives in the Moab area. With such small numbers, he says drones are sure to increase officer effectiveness during investigations. A lot of our officers actually, their patrol districts run about 2,500 square miles. A lot of our crime scenes are on the side of a mountain or, you know, cover a couple valleys and different things like that. So it's it's sometimes difficult for just an officer on foot to, to find everything that they need to find in the in, during their investigations. The drones will assist officers with investigating wildlife crime, everything from locating illegally taken wildlife, trespassing issues, to hunting-related shooting incidents. They will also be used in non-wildlife-related crime investigations, which Betchard says does occur within their patrol ranges. A lot of times, some of the same crimes that happen in city or more urbanized areas happen up on the, the mountainside. So, you know, there's domestic violences in campgrounds, there's drugs and alcohol situations, there's, there's things like that, that that our officers run into that are very similar to uh, local agencies. It just happens to be that we're up on the mountain. The scale just becomes much, much bigger as far as areas that you could potentially find evidence or even find people that might be involved in different crimes. That's where the drones come into play. Betridge says that officers will not be flying the drones, quote, randomly. They do have to comply with all laws related to unmanned aircraft. There's restrictions. There's there's rules and guidelines that we have to follow. We have a, a pretty restrictive policy on how we fly these things and we'll comply with all the laws. So it's not just randomly send up a drone to see what we can see. Utah's new conservation officer drone team has just completed their training. Betridge expects the drones to be utilized soon in all corners of the state. Friday was the National Day of Remembrance for Indian Boarding Schools, also known as Orange Shirt Day. The day commemorates children who were lost and abused in the Indian boarding school systems in the U.S. and Canada. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis has a story. It was the survivors of St. Joseph's Mission Residential School in Williams Lake, British Columbia, who started Orange Shirt Day in 2013. But the movement was inspired by Phyllis Webstad whose favorite shirt as a child was an orange one given to her by her grandmother. When Webstad was enrolled in a boarding school in Canada, employees took her orange shirt away, and she never knew why. The website orangeshirtday.org shares these words from Phyllis. Quote, The color orange has always reminded me of how my feelings didn't matter, how no one cared, and how I felt like I was worth nothing, unquote. More than 400 Native American boarding schools operated in the 1800s and 1900s. At the schools, children faced physical and sexual abuse. People nationwide are wearing orange to honor those victims. I'm Clark Adamitis. A school superintendent in our region recently wrote an opinion piece detailing harassment that LGBTQ students have told him they are enduring in school. This piece caused Carbondale, Colorado community members to show up to a school board meeting last week. 
As Morgan Neely with our partners at KDK reports, many came to support LGBTQ plus students. Others brought up transphobic tropes about bathroom safety, one of the political flashpoints stirring across the country. Although there were a few scowling dissenters in the audience, among them Cornerstone Christian pastor Jim Tarr, the vast majority at Bridges High School came out to support new superintendent Jesus Rodriguez's efforts to create safer schools for transgender, gay, and non-binary students. I'm here to thank the board and the district team for all your support of our LGBT plus students and staff. That's Ellen Friedman. She has a transgender nephew and said that that makes the topic a personal one for her. This is critically important to me because I believe that every student and staff member must feel welcome and safe in our schools and our community. Superintendent Rodriguez penned an op-ed in the Post-Independent in which he detailed the harassment and homophobia that LGBTQ plus students have told him they're enduring at school. He wrote that students have told him they avoid drinking fluids all day because they are, quote, terrified of using the restrooms in our schools, end quote, and that gender-neutral bathrooms often aren't easy to access. To that end, the district has also released a toolkit for supporting transgender and gender nonconforming students. Um, I would really like to state how important this is to us and how grateful we are for this. Jax Carpenter, a senior at Roaring Fork High, said that life at school has gotten easier with administrative support. I recently was able to change my name in the school records, um, and it has made a huge difference in me feeling comfortable at school and seen. Um, And it has really made going to school a lot easier because instead of worrying about all of of being dead named or being used, like the wrong pronouns being used, I just kind of have to worry about, okay, what homework do I have? What schoolwork do I have? Like it makes it easier for me to um, just focus on really what's important and not feel unsafe on a regular basis. Opposition to Rodriguez's letter and the district's toolkit mostly came in the form of transphobic tropes about bathroom safety. You wrote about how a student was uncomfortable using the bathrooms at school because of their gender identity, yet you give no thought to how the other 90-some percent of the students are going to feel if transgender students and staff are allowed into the bathrooms or locker rooms they identify as. Those comments from Angela Roding, a parent of two children at Basalt Middle School, contradict rigorous research from UCLA and other institutions demonstrating that there's no link between trans-inclusive policies and an increase in safety threats in bathrooms. In fact, the opposite is true. Transgender students forced to use bathrooms that don't correspond with their gender identity face heightened risk of being victims of violence and sexual assault at school. Dr. Matt Percy, chief medical officer at Mountain Family Health Centers in Rifle, spoke about well-documented findings that LGBTQ plus teens are more likely to attempt suicide than their straight peers. While mental health struggles and suicide rates are unacceptably high in transgender youth, they are not inherent to being transgender. Rather, they are the result of receiving years of messaging that they are somehow wrong, broken, or other. 
We can all help improve this by using students' preferred names and pronouns. In fact, transgender and non-binary youth who report having their pronouns respected by all or most people in their lives attempted suicide at half the rate of those who didn't. Research has long shown that the LGBTQ community is disproportionately impacted by violent crime and that gay and trans people are attacked by people whom they know more often than other victims of crimes are. In the end, Carpenter said trans students want the same things as anybody else. We're here and we just want to go to school and learn. We don't want to like upset anyone or make anything weird. Like in the bathrooms, we just want to go to the bathroom. We just want to pee. <laughs> like that's it. We just have to go. We don't, nothing more than that. We just have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm Morgan Neely. The Grand County Commission will meet on Tuesday. Maggie McGuire of the Mob Sun News gives us a preview of the commission's agenda. The agenda for this week's Grand County Commission meeting is long. It includes a joint workshop with the Planning Commission on a proposed change to allow non-traditional housing like RV parks and tiny house communities for local workers. This change may also be voted on later in the meeting. Some of the other items up for approval include establishing a criminal justice council, changing the county special events process, and rescinding a moratorium on ATV special events, sending a letter to the BLM regarding a management plan for the Gemini Bridges Labyrinth Canyon area, and potentially approving the demolition of a dilapidated house behind the county building. This agenda preview is from our partners at the Moab Sun News. Grand County Commission meetings are held on the first and third Tuesday of every month at 4 p.m. Tomorrow's Alternative Dwelling Overlay District workshop begins at 2 p.m. And you can watch it all on the Grand County, Utah YouTube page. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, October 3rd. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.